0: So turn to your Bibles again to Second Samuel chapter 22. Last week we were in chapter 21, Pastor Chris preached a great message. If you didn't um, see it or hear it, you can download it, podcast, or watch it on the video on our new website, which is awesome. Um, I, I, he did a great job. I want to point you there so you can follow along. He rightly said that Second Samuel, the last four chapters in, in this book of First and Second Samuel, is what is called the epilogue. It's the ending of this two-volume work. It's it's the way the author wants to conclude uh, concluding remarks of of this really, really, really important time in in the history of Israel. Um, As you remember, the time is when Israel went from a theocracy, a people ruled and governed by God who was their king, to a monarchy, a people ruled by an earthly king, uh, who, by the way, was not supposed to rule any way he felt like it. Uh, God just said, okay, you can have a king and then, you know, call me if you need me. He was supposed to reign and rule under the leadership, under the kingship of God himself. God's kingdom led by God's anointed king. Remember, Saul was the first one, kind of a disaster. Uh, people chose him. David was a good king, kind of ended in a disaster as well. That's why we don't trust in human kings. We trust in the king of kings. His name is Jesus. And what's interesting about this psalm uh, that we get into this morning, chapter 22, is that the, the 51 verses of the psalm and into the last words of David in the next chapter um, is really a parallel to how the book started in 1 Samuel, chapter 2. Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer. Uh, if you read in Hannah's prayer, as in David's prayer here, his song, I should say, both him and both David and Hannah talk about the horn of their salvation, a figure of strength. They talk about the rock as, as their God. He talks about divine deliverance, that God will deliver his people, that uh, God's going to deliver and anoint the king. And these Psalms, songs, Psalm, song, same thing, uh, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 2 of Hannah, woman of faith, and David here at the end, kind of parallel, the kind of like bookends to talk about the incomparable God that we serve. And we should never miss that point God is the hero of the book of Samuel. God is the hero of all the narratives of Scripture. He's the hero of the Bible itself. God's redemptive plan and work through this earthly Messiah is gloriously fulfilled, gloriously, gloriously fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, God gave David a promise, a covenant he made with David to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God said, your house and your kingdom, chapter 7, will be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. God was and is faithful to his covenant promises. Jesus is the promised king who inaugurated the kingdom in his coming, in his perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. He rose victorious over the grave to reign and to rule forever. And we're waiting for him to establish his earthly kingdom. Jesus is the story. Jesus is the hero of all the narratives. And as we get into Psalm 22 this morning, this long and beautiful Psalm of David, we must recognize that it's about the goodness and greatness of God and, very important, maybe if you could low me down a little bit, Chris. What's very important is this Psalm, this song is a song of, of, of a believer. It is a song of believers. It's a song where we, the people of God, just like David, cry out, and rightly think about who God is and, and God's faithfulness to David and God's faithfulness to us. It's a believer's psalm. Pastor Chris mentioned last week that the last four chapters are not necessarily chronological. It's true. Chapter 21, it was looking back on, on how the, the kingdom, um, how, how the, there's some kingdom insights which Chris pointed to last week. Chapter 22, if you're there with me, look at this as well look at verse 1 of chapter 22 and David spoke to the Lord the words of this song when on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul you can actually read this psalm almost verbatim in Psalm 18 if you're if you're familiar with the psalms there's some minor differences I'm not going to get into that today personally personally i think the author who put these books together in the end of David, these last four verses, these last four chapters, these epilogues, did not want to end the book with David and this kingdom that has been fractured. I think think the author wants us to remind us, the the author wants to remind us that there were some good times in David's life. That David was a good king. David was a man of faith who trusted the Lord. Let's not end bad, right? So if I become a, a cankerous old man who who you know just doesn't want to, just a mean, nasty guy, remember me as a fun-loving guy. That's what I want you to do in the end, okay? Some of you are saying well, you need to start then. I understand, but and because David in this psalm, which we'll read together, we'll look at together, David is constantly saying, my rock, God is my rock, God is my salvation. In my, dis- in my distress, I call out to God. So my outline then, is, it's a five-point outline. Uh, when we get to number five, we're going to be... Just brief words. The band will come up on number five. I'll call you guys up. Uh, so really four, really four, but I want to end where we begin. So it looks like this. My God protects. My God is powerful. My God is perfect. My God provides. And my God is praised. Okay? As we look through this outline. So really four points, but the fifth one will sing and hopefully respond in praise. That's, that's my hope. We get done with the psalm. We see God for who he is and we praise him for it. Okay? Real simple response. So first, let's look at my God protects, verse one. David spoke to the Lord the words of his song in the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, okay? Context, verse two. He said, the Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. May God add a blessing to that reading of his word. This song is expressing and explains David's astonishment of the goodness and the greatness of his experience of the God who has chosen him, David, to be king. Scholars are divided exactly when this psalm was written. This song was written, it was in the Psalter, so it's meant to be sung. Obviously, it was written after David, excuse me, Saul's death. I think it was probably my my personal conviction that this psalm was written before. David's fall into sin with Bathsheba. I believe it was probably shortly after he was established as the king of all of Israel. Remember, not just Judah, the southern kingdom, but both all of Israel. Nathan the prophet had come to him. Things were going well, and David—excuse uh, me Nathan uh, declares the word and the covenant promise to David, things are good. That's when I think David wrote this. David is looking back at this the, the, the several murderous attempts on his life by Saul. David is looking back, time after time, has God protected him. If you were here during those stories, you remember when he was in a foreign land, when he was in a dark caves, when he's wandering in the wilderness, running for his life, God was his rock. Not that he's not at the end of his life, but this is the time frame I think happens. That's why he's very personal. God is my rock, my fortress, my shield, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You saved me, I am saved. You see, theology says God is. It's a study of who God is. Personal relationship says my God. It was Luther who said Christianity consists in personal pronouns. It is your faith and experience this morning. Is that that your experience with God this morning? My faith? My refuge, my shield, my stronghold, my savior. I hope so. I hope you don't leave this place without a personal relationship with the living God. For David, knowing God was not about religious activities. It was about being safe from real and threatening dangers by taking refuge in him. When you see the word salvation here... What, what David is primarily talking about is not like when we talk about salvation, we're, we're saved from sin, death, and hell eternally, saved from the wrath of God, we're going to heaven, all that stuff. David's, a lot of David, what David is talking about, that's part of it, but he's talking about real deliverance from real circumstances that he was saved from, right? So you slam on the car brakes before you slam into the person in front of you and you missed them by that much. You could say, man, the Lord saved me from that accident. David is learning to trust the Lord. David is learning to trust the Lord in hard times, impossible circumstances. The apostle Paul told the church in, Phili- in the Philippian church that I've learned in whatever circumstances I am in, situation I'm in to be content. I've been brought low, and brought, I had much, I had a little bit. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Family, that's a learning experience. right? It's not, it doesn't just happen in a moment's time. Trust and contentment in God in hard time is a learning experience. And some of you are learning that right now. Some of you are learning it, maybe you've learned it, you continue to learn it. As you're going through hard times, you're learning to trust, you're learning to lean, you're learning to be content in God. I wish there was a way we could just get to that place, but it's a learning experience. And David, yeah, David failed. Failed on a number of occasions, but God never failed David, that's the point. All of us, if you have not experienced a life-changing moment, a major life-changing event event, It'll happen. Some it's physical, emotional abuse. Others, maybe a a divorce or death or illness or some sort of serious disappointment. But here in David's cry, in David's song, he affirms that the Lord is everything to him, that the Lord is his stronghold, that the Lord is all he needs, that God is his deliverer, the one who protects him from external threats. He's the rock and fortress, the one who protects him from the enemy's arrows. He is the shield, the one who hides David from harm. He is his refuge, the one who anoints David for a certain purpose. He is the horn of salvation, the one who hears David's cries in distress. And the waves, look, the waves of death, the torrents of destruction, the cords of Sheol, that's death, are against him. God is his refuge. God answers him. The Lord had saved David from violence. That's why he says in verse 4, he is worthy to be praised. Can you look back in your life? Can you look back in your life or even now in the midst of of serious trouble and hardship and say, with David, you're my sheltering rock. You're my strong and secure fortress. My shield protecting me from enemies, from eternal death. You're the stronghold, a stronghold a safe and high protected place above the dangers, above the threats. You're my salvation. I am safe in your hands. You are worthy to be praised. I hope so. God will bring you to that place if you walk with him. And these opening lines are not only for David to sing, they're for us to sing. They're for the people of God. They're believers' songs. They're believers' song. These are prayers that we pray. We have seen God deliver us. Have you called upon the Lord? Do you sing praises to your God in the midst of trials and difficulties? Are you trusting him? Are you running to him? Are you taking refuge in him? Some of you who are followers of Christ say yes. And maybe here this morning you have not made a decision for Christ. You have not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking, life is good. I don't know what he's talking about torrents and, and destruction and cords of, uh, uh, of Sheol and I, I, things are going really well. Well, let me tell you something. <coughs> that's you this morning, when Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was talking to his disciples. He's talking about evil. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about things that are going on in this world. This is what he says to his disciples. Now listen to this. He says, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body. Yes, there's evil in the world, and yes, they could take the most precious thing in your life, which is your life. But Jesus says, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You hear what he's saying? In other words, all that men can do, all that evil can do, is kill the body. And for a believer, our soul will be united with Christ until our resurrected body. But God is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So if you have not taken shelter, if you're not taken refuge, if you've not been protected by the, by the stronghold and refuge of God, the one who saves you, you will face your greatest enemy, God himself. If you never called upon the Lord like David, call upon him this morning. He is willing, he is open, he loves you. And you'll be saved, you'll be rescued, you'll be forgiven of your sins. That's the gospel, right? Isn't that the good news? The righteous and just wrath that we deserve because of our sin was laid on our substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon him. Sin was laid. We are forgiven. We are, we are reconciled to God. And then, like with Martin Luther, we can sing, the children of God could sing, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abided still. His kingdom is forever. You are my rock, my fortress. Run to him. My God is powerful. Look at verse 8. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he went, excuse me, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and throuted them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundation of the world were laid bare, and the rebuke of the Lord, the blast of the breath of his nostrils." David is using an extraordinary language to speak of the power of God. This, David's writing this song of praise, having been delivered from his enemies in this, in this picture, which, what's called a theophany, this, this manifestation of God to man where he's taking on human characteristics, his nostrils, and, and he's writing. And he, he, David is using these, these pictures, these images, Show us something of the, the astonishing greatness and power of the God in heaven. The God who, this God who, heard from heaven and answered David's prayer. He hears your prayers from heaven, this God, and answers your prayers. We don't hear nothing about David here in this, in this section. This is the God in whom David calls upon, we call upon, the one who protects us from our enemies, this picture begins with David begins, I, I, and he must have had this in his mind, I'm sure, the picture of the Exodus, the time when God came down on the Mount Sinai and, and there was, the earth shook there was smoke and fire. Ralph David and his commissary, Ralph Davis in his commissary, said this David could simply have written, Yahweh, God, Yahweh, intervene on my behalf. Five words. Why didn't he? Because though, although such a statement would be factually true, it would not be impressively true. David doesn't merely want to tell you a fact about Yahweh. He wants you to see Yahweh in all his saving fury. He doesn't intend merely to inform you about what God has done. He wants you to see the God who did it in all his splendor, end quote. Not everybody has a theology like this. I hope you do this morning. The mere fact that God was angry, verse 8. Really? Not because David cried out to him, but because of those who were after him, those his enemies, those who were threatening the anointed one, the chosen one, with destruction. It is good and right to be angry about violence, about hatred, about war, about death about cruelty, about cancer. No one's happy about it. Remember, anger is always connected to love. The more you love something or someone, the more angry you get when that something or someone is hurt, destroyed, demoralized. Would you rather God who didn't care? Notice also, he hears. hears from heaven. He's not just angry, not just hears. Look at verse 10. He comes down. He bowed in the heavens and came down, verse 11. He, he rode on a cherub and flew. The wind is in, uh, uh, on his wings, the, verse 14. The Lord thundered from heaven and uttered his voice. The arrows he sent were scattered, the seas parted. We see all this God coming down <coughs> to David, responding to his prayer. And then, verse 17, and I, I have to tell you, I love, love, love these verses. David's enemy was too strong. God delivered him. God gave him what he needed. Verse 17. Look with me. Verse 17. He, God, sent from on high, came down, took me, drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemies, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. Verse 19. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but... (laughs) The Lord was my support. He, God, brought me out into a broad place, a place of freedom, of bondage, of oppression. Again, I think he's looking back to the Exodus. Verse 20, he rescued me because why? He delighted in me. (laughs) This is very personal to me. I don't usually talk this way, but I will today. Because I remember over 30 years ago, I was in bondage, drowning in the waters of drug addiction. That strong enemy, too mighty for me, confronted me about an impending death. I knew it was coming, and the Lord rescued me, and the Lord was my support. He alone brought me into a broad place. He alone rescued me. And that's enough to say, praise God, hallelujah. But there's more. It doesn't end there. And yes, David's the chosen one, the anointed one. He's the king of Israel. I'm not. I get that. Okay, But why did he do this? It says he delighted in David. He delighted in David. And I could be 100% assured that this description of him delighting in David and rescuing David fits me too. And you too if you're a child of God. Why? Because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. The whole message of grace. I remember reading that verse for the first time after being set free thinking, The love of God just took on a whole new level, a whole new dimension for me, a whole new significance, a whole new impact in my life. God delights in me. Can you say that? Do you even think that? And don't think for a moment I didn't either, that I'm just so lovable in myself. I'm a rebel. How could that be? Because it's called sovereign grace. That's why. God chose to love you and me through union with Christ. That is why his love will never fade. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. You see that? This love that the Father and Son shared in all eternity, this this loving relationship between Father and Son is now yours in the Beloved, yours in union with Christ. How do you get better than that? It is according to this great love that Christ loves us. In other words, what I'm saying is, that's the gospel. We have an eternal union with Christ. And therefore, share in the love that God the Father has for his Son, and the love Jesus, God the Son, has for his Father. So ultimately, it's not simply God sees you and delights, delights in you. It's more beautiful than that. It's more glorious than that. It's more secure than that. In fact, God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Chuck Swindoll says, Caring for you, God feels your ache. Delighting in you, he will be your security. That's something to hang on to. In the midst of trials, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of an enemy, in the midst of strongholds, the battle may endure, it may be exhaustive, but consider, God rescues me God rescues you because he lovingly delights in you as he loves and delights in himself. You are brought into that union as Christ, with Christ. He delights in you. Covered by the blood and righteousness of Christ. God protects, God is powerful, and God is perfect. Verses 21 through 31, hardest verses, 10 verses to to interpret, okay? Okay. Two main things, verses 21 through 25 uh, speaks of the rightness or the righteousness of those who are rescued by God, and verses 26 through 31 speaks of the justice, the perfect justice of God, all right? So we'll look at two of them uh, quickly, and you guys can talk more about it in community group. Verse 21, the Lord dealt with me, David speaking, this is why it's hard to interpret, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, According to the cleanness of my hands, he, God, rewarded me. For I kept the ways of the Lord and not, and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. <coughs> I was blameless before him. This is David talking, if you've been tracking with us. And I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. Okay? When you read that at first glance, you've got to be thinking that God protected and provided, uh, uh, gave, gave David the power to overcome because David was perfect. Righteously perfect in and of himself. I mean, that's when you first read that, you think, of course, then you have to throw the rest of your Bible out. But if you just read that, even if this was written when everything was going good for david which i believe it was before his sin with bathsheba sin against uriah her husband and others he was still not perfect so what is he talking about ralph davis again is david he says is david dragging in a santa claus theology of works righteousness question mark has he become blind to his own sinfulness question mark or do these words reflect a self-righteous attitude and a weakening a weakening of the sense of sin? Question mark. Rhetorical. The answer obviously is no. But God has anointed David as king. God did choose David out among the family of God. God did set David as king of Israel. Saul was was the the megomaniac, right? He was he was a self righteous, uh, uh, self centered person. David was in that sense in the right. It's not saying that he was righteous and earned God's favor. David is not talking about justification by works or sinless perfection, but a conscience void of offense toward God as he walked with the Lord. Okay? When we talk about justification, we're talking about eternally standing before God. That's not what David's talking about. In, in the battle that David had against his opponents, in the battle that David had against his enemies, right was on his side because God was doing the work, right? God would not have protected him, delivered him as he did not do to Saul. And far from taking matters into his own hands, if you follow the story, David had kept the ways of the Lord. He waited on the Lord for divine vindication from his enemies, Right? If you remember the story before, as he's running from Saul, as he's, as he's, you know, he 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 was running. He didn't. He chose not to kill Saul. He had two attempts. He could have done it. Um, he he could have even taken out uh, uh, Saul's children. He didn't do that. And I think he's speaking about just doing the right thing here. Remember, even at Saul's descendants, he he didn't bring shame against Matvishef, uh, Ishbashef. David spared again Saul's life twice. He could say, I follow the ways and the will of the Lord and his law. law." I, I, I think that since the Lord rescued him over and over and over again, clearly, miraculously, divinely, providentially, David concludes that his behavior in relation to Saul and his enemies must be pleasing to the Lord as he followed the law of God. And, and he refused to do what others wanted him to do. And therefore, he can say, God delivered me. God delivered me. There's a way to do something in the right way for believers without falling into pride or hypocrisy. Remember, it's not about eternal salvation. And again, David's relationship with God, first and foremost, is by grace. No one deserves the loving relationship God offers to us. It's by grace alone through faith alone. That's how the relationship is established. But it's important to remember. It is important to remember that. As we look at this believer's psalm, it's important to remember that David received the kingdom of God because God chose to love David, not the other way around. God chose to give David the kingdom, not the other way around. And this song, I, I think, was written before, again, of the adultery and murder. And, and, and even if it wasn't, David was rebuked, David was forgiven, David was cleansed. So here's my humble interpretation of this passage. Let me just break it right down to you. God poured out his love on David. God chose to show loving kindness and mercy to David. God made a covenant promise with David that was based exclusively on grace alone. The covenant relationship with God was by grace. But as David responded to the grace, as David responded to his love and obedience by not taking Saul out, by doing the right thing, not perfectly, but David can say, I was delivered. Even his claim for blameless, when he says David was blameless, it doesn't mean perfect. It means he was a man of integrity and he walked with God, implying a relationship with the Lord. I mean, have you ever been in a situation? I have, recently. When enemies come against us and it takes everything for us not to respond in an ungodly way. Take vengeance, unforgiveness, hatred, gossip. We do all these things. We know we shouldn't do it. We want to do it. And we say, no, I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to follow the ways of God. I'm not talking about my salvation. I'm talking about a circumstance, a situation that's going on. My salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then in the end, the enemy falls. I don't say, what a great job you did doing the right thing. I don't do that. I don't know about you. I don't do that. If God delivers me and I can look at that and say in some way and somehow me doing what was right before the Lord, what was my deliverance on God, I still say praise the Lord because I deserve even that, even doing the right thing is by grace alone. So I, I'm, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be prideful for me. I think there are times when I say, you know what? I got to do what's right. And God shows up. Praise God. Praise God. It's by grace alone. Not my relationship with him. That's in Christ through the blood of Jesus I think we we need to think through are we doing the right thing? I think David is looking at part of his life. He's saying, I did the right thing. God delivered me. I did the right thing. I walked with integrity. I I, I tried my mouth. It wasn't perfect. But as David, and I think we need to understand that if you have a proper understanding of salvation, that you and I were on our way, as we love to sing here, running, rebelling. And turning our back on God. And God miraculously and graciously. Snatched us from the fire. And the pit of hell. Salvation is of the Lord alone. If that's our understanding of salvation. Then when you have that victory. You will not be arrogant. You have no room for boasting. You boast is in the Lord. That's what I think. And that's a long way around. But I want to let you all know. I did my work this week. David was eternally saved. He received God's pardon by grace alone, by faith alone. Now he's just responding that God was good to him in a circumstance he found himself in. Robert Bergen, as Dr. Robert Bergen, sums it up nicely. He says this, to avoid, now listen, to avoid creating a conflict with Pauline theology, you can't get saved by the law, by grace alone, to avoid creating a conflict with Pauline theology of the Apostle Paul, we must assume that genuine God-centered faith was the wellspring of David's scrupulous attention to the law and his personal conduct. David received his reward from God because he had a faith-based righteousness—faith alone—that produced actions consistent with that faith-based relationship. This is the work, an outwork of grace and an outwork of love. And then we see from this imperfect righteousness of David. We see the righteousness of Christ. Look at verse uh, right of God, verse twenty-six. With the merciful, you show yourself what merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself what blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous, crooked. You 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 save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord. And my God lightens my path. We've heard that verse, right? In Psalms. But you, for by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. Now, verse 26, the word merciful. If you have an NIV, it says faithful. That's a better translation. New American Standard, if you have it as a footnote, it says loyal. Better translation. Having revealed why David experienced the Lord's blessing, David's making observations about certain types of people and the, which, and the way in which God deals with them, right? Faithful, moral, pure, and humble. God demonstrates his faithfulness to those who are, 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 have this committed, based love for God and for God's people. God shows up to be what? Faithful. If you walk with integrity, blameless, you will see a God you will reveal, not that God is not blameless, but you will see for yourself, he is blameless. To the pure, he conducts himself refined. To the humble, he brings salvation. That's what God is like. David's just expressing who this God is that he loves. To the haughty, right? The high and mighty ones, to the arrogant ones, he doesn't rescue, he rescues the humble. The the needy, the the haughty are too self-sufficient to be be, uh, rescued. He's a light, he's a lamp. This sounds a little bit like the Beatitudes, right? Does it not? The the Lord does not treat all people exactly the same. To to do so would demonstrate a moral indifference that the scriptures doesn't reveal to us about who God is. Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be what? Humbled. How am I going to treat the exalted ones? I'm humbling them. But those who humble themselves, I will what? I will exalt. Verse 31. This God, his way is what? Perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. David knows. David knows that God, the true God, has provided a pathway, and the king has walked in it, found it, devoid of impurity, and the word of the Lord is both the, the, the word that was given to him by Nathan, the prophet, about his kingdom. The word of the Lord is also written in the law which David had. The verb proves true means uh, 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 testifier. It, it proves through a testify. the purities are, are, are um, uh, the furnace is tested and the purities uh, come out from that fire. That's what it means. You know, that, that I, I cannot I cannot tell you how important it is that we are in God's word, right? I, I, what a God. God is perfect. God is flawless. He is trustworthy. Where do we see all that? We see that in God's word. Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I rejoice at your word Like one who finds great spoil. Do you you read the scriptures looking and listening and learning about who God is? As a a, a found great spoil. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My tongue will sing of your word. For all your uh, commandments are right. I rise before dawn and cry for help. Listen, I hope in your word. Psalm 119. He is righteous. He is our treasure. He is our hope. He is perfect. How do we know that? His word. And we take refuge in his word. And God is perfect. And David knows that. And David goes now from there to God provides. So remember, so, so God is protects him. He's the rock. He's the refuge. He, he saves him from his enemies. God is this God who is powerful. He reigns and rules. He comes down. He, he's shaking the earth. He's a perfect God. He he, he comes to me with integrity. God is perfect. His word is true. And then verse 32. God provides what David needs. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and he, listen, underline this, and he has made my way blameless. Who did? Was it David? Nope, it says right here. God has made my way blameless. Look at the verse, it says God, which means is the word in the Hebrew Elohim, and the Lord capital letters is the covenant name of God Yahweh. The God that he is talking to is the God of the covenant, the God that is of the patriarchs of Israel. Elohim, God is seen as the Elohim, the creator in Genesis 1. That's the God that David is crying out to. The creator, sustainer, the covenant, making covenant, loyal, loving God. Does it sound familiar? It's the way it started. (laughs) If you look at the first couple of verses of the same psalm, that's What David said, he's repeating himself. Why are you repeating yourself, David? Because it's worthy of repeating, amen? It's worthy of repeating. David's not trusting in his own power and position, identity, self-esteem, depending, making believe he has strength on his own. He doesn't do that. Verse 34. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights, a metaphor expressing stability, strength, proficiency. I can get through life circumstances that my feet are secure. Verse 35, he trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze, figuratively, but the strength. Verse 36, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness made me great. What made me great? How wonderful I am. No, your gentleness has made me great. God provide, verse 37, all these verbs, you, 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 verse 37, you gave a wide place for my feet, for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip, I pursued my enemies, I destroyed them, and did not turn back until I was consumed, I consumed them, I thrust them So that they did not rise, they fell under my feet. Verse 40, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, those who hated me, and I destroyed them. Verse 42, they look, but there was none to save. They cried to you, Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. You, verse 44, Delivered me from strife. I mean, you get the point? You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I have not known saved me, served me, excuse me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. All of God. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling at their fortress, out of their fortresses. This hymn of praise is evident of the strength of God. This is not David's military might. Look how great I am. I was really smart. I I ran my army well. I led my army well. No, he is celebrating. Yes, he's a great warrior, but he is celebrating knowing that God, not David, is the one who wins the battles. The king, listen, the king is a warrior of God because the king is a worshiper of God. You know, the Lord has, we've spoken about this months, months ago. Let me just bring it up again quickly. The Lord has given us instructions about warfare in the word of God. If you don't know Ephesians chapter 6, know it. Ephesians chapter 6, we're told on, we're told how to walk in victory. It describes the enemy we fight. It describes the equipment of warfare that we wear and the energy we are to use. We're in a war. We, if you're a child of God, and you profess Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you and I are in a war. Period. We're in a war. Our adversary is Satan and his juniors who sinned against God, removed from his glory and presence. He's not all powerful, but he's powerful. He uses wickedness and deceitfulness as his enemy, as his weapons. Our equipment includes truth and righteousness and peace and salvation. He uses deception and confusion Wrong and erroneous thinking. Condemnation. Accusations. Fears. Anxieties. Worries. His worldly and destructive wisdom includes false doctrine. Worldly distractions. Selfishness. Addictions. Pride, which we call self-esteem. Laziness. We're given armor. Weapons for the battles. But, But listen... You've got to put the armor on with prayer. That's what Ephesians 6 tells us. Just like David is leaning on the Lord, praying and worshiping and singing to God, come, God's got to do the work. we put the armor on as a family, but we're empowered by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, which is the sword. So it's not just defending ourselves, it's marching on with the feet of the gospel of peace and the sword in our hand, which is the Word of God. Who are what? Who or what constitutes the enemies and the strongholds in your life this morning? What is your battle? Is it unforgiveness? Addiction, selfishness, bitterness, hate, pride, sexual sin, rebellion? Satan will use doubts. Satan will use unbelief. Our resources are God Himself, faith in God Himself. God the deliverer, God the rock. It's the gospel. It is the gospel. And David declares the faithfulness of God who enables his, his, his anointed king to vanquish all rivals and God gives him strength. God gives his Christ, the anointed one, David, the stability and the st- stamina to pursue, to overtake and defeat his enemies. Listen, God is the hero. Greater is he, what does the Bible say? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Now listen to this verse, Colossians chapter two. You were dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses, right? We could say in bondage to the enemy. God made alive together with Christ, you alive with him in Christ, having forgiven all of your sins and trespasses by canceling the record of debt that you owe to God because of your sin that was against him. He set aside those demands. That, he, 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 he set aside nailing that to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing them over them through him in the gospel. God provides. God provides. God will be a strength. God will be a stronghold. We put on the armor and we, we put on with prayer. We look out for one another. We love one another. We serve one another. And we, we move forward in the gospel. God will provide. God provided for David. God will provide for you. And finally, my God is praised. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Everybody else can just sit for a moment. Let me read these last verses to you. We'll finish. My God is praised. My God is praised. My God protects. My God is powerful. My God is perfect. My God provides. And my God is praised. The Lord lives. Verse 47. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock. And exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought me down under, down peoples under me, who, who brought me out from my enemies, you, O Lord, exalted me above those who rose against me, you, O Lord, delivered me from men of violence, for this I will praise you. I will praise you, O Lord, among all the nations and sing praises to your name. Verse 51, verse 51, let's, let's sit there for a minute. Great salvation God brings to his king, David, and, mark this in your Bible, shows chesed, steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and who? His offspring forever. Offspring, singular noun. Same thing in Galatians 3 when it's speaking about Abraham. Paul says the promises made to Abraham and to his offspring. Singular. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, Galatians says, but to your offspring who is Christ. So we see this steadfast love, this chesed, will be forever. That's the covenant promise. That, that points to Jesus. The, the kingdom here in verse 51 and this grand finale does not depend upon human, brillian, br- human brilliance, but on a decree on a decree that determines and forms history because God's kingdom, listen, rests on God's promise and therefore the kingdom is invincible and sure. Now this psalm doesn't make any sense unless you look at Jesus. You realize it fits Jesus. It's the one who's being exalted is Jesus. He is the son of David who is everything that David failed to be. Like David, he was threatened with destruction, yet Jesus was, was beaten, betrayed, and brutally executed on the cross. And like David, Jesus cries out to the Father in his distress, and the Father rescues him from his strong enemy by what? The empty tomb, the resurrection of the grave. Yet unlike David, Jesus is the perfect, righteous, blameless, pure one. He is the Lord to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. And the news will go to all the nations, all tongues, all tribes. He will overthrow and punish all those who make themselves enemies of the kingdom. While those who trust him will be saved. And the blessing here, listen, does not belong just to David. It belongs to those who put their faith in the offspring of David. David's greatest son, in whom the new covenant shed in his blood, was ratified. And therefore, we can say with the Apostle Paul, nothing, no nothing, no nothing, neither height nor death, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. That we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. This is God's steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. This is the love that will never stop and will never end. Come Lord Jesus. The rock, our refuge. Let's stand together, okay? Father, now as your people, as we want to sing this song, we want to sing this song and we want to sing the words of this song. Lord, that, that even though my faith will fail, Christ will hold me. Even when the tempter will come and try to prevail, Christ will hold me. You will not let my soul be lost. Your promises will last. I was bought at a, at, a, at, a, at a price. For my Savior loves me. He will hold me fast. Help us, Lord, to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus and worship him. Because he is our rock and our refuge. And we will not be shaken because of him.